Father, thank you so much that we know that you love us. Thank you that you care for us. Thank you that we can have a heart at rest at who you are. Thank you, Lord, that you've come to reveal who you are and that we can be captivated by your person, by your thoughts, your ideas, revealing who you are and that who you are can give birth to our life so that we don't have to try and live a life that measures up to rules and regulations, but that we can have a life that spontaneously flows out of a revelation of who you are. We are here today to hear who you are, and not what to do, but who you are, because we know that you are such an influential being that we cannot but become like you when we are under your influence. Thank you for that, Father. And when I speak today, I thank you that I'm influenced by your Holy Spirit. I'm under grace. And that every person here will hear the Word, they will understand the Word, and the Word will bear its fruit in man. Thank you for that, my God. Amen. Amen. Um, you know, yesterday as I was ministering, one of the most wonderful things that was coming to my mind was just the throne room reality and I spoke about this you know in the last couple of Sundays that I was here uh, the reality uh, in the throne room about our lives what God thinks about us you know every person tries his utmost best not to be influenced by what others think because we have been and, and it's actually very difficult because we are beings that are made uh, to actually be influenced by what someone else thinks. What someone else thinks is important to us, and we don't know why it is like that. It is just like that. Um, we want people to think good of us. If people think good of us, we feel happy. Their thought ignites joy in our hearts, if it's a good thought. <laughs> if it's a bad thought, it will ignite different or other things in your heart. Uh, things like self-defense or performance, where you will try and perform to meet up to the standard. You will try and get your life uh, to prove the opposite. It, it, many times it's like that. And then we've been taught from small, listen, don't worry about what others think. Um, because in this world, it's actually a dangerous thing to form your life based on what others think. But our design is to have a life formed by what someone else thinks. Because when we were made by God, we were made... The, 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 he first had a thought. Yesterday, Tanzel was so beautiful about this. He first had a thought about us. He had a thought about you. You were in God's thoughts before the earth was even made. And then you were born. And that thought became alive. You know, so, and then he thinks things about you. And if you can know what God thinks about you, his thought will give you a life. Because we, we are naturally inclined to uh, uh, want to know what others think. In the very same way, and I believe it's, a, it's, it's part of our design. And the, what we must do is focus it on what God thinks and know what, he's, what he thinks. You know, uh, I think when it comes to faith, I do believe that by faith we are saved and we believe in God. But who believes in you is more important than in who you believe in. If you can realize that God believes in you, it will be very easy for you to believe in Him. Because it's very difficult for you to believe in someone that doesn't believe in you. And God first believed in us. That's why the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13 so clearly that love believes all things. And God is love. So if God is love and love believes all things, it means that God believes in you. He's got a trust in you. So uh, in any relationship, it's impossible for one person to trust the other one. Uh, like say between me and Eliana, it will be impossible for her to trust me if she knows I don't trust her. Trust is a mutual thing. And God was the first one to bring trust into the relationship. 
And if we can hear how valuable we are to him and what good thoughts he has about us, it will be very easy for us to find uh, um, faith in our hearts towards God. But if we think that God is nitpicking, fault-finding, not happy with the way you are, always wanting to change you into something new, and you don't even know exactly how that looks, you know, it, it will be such an atmosphere of distrust and performance. You either want to say, I don't want to have anything to do with God because I'm not going to try and prove myself to anybody, or you're going to all the time be busy trying to prove yourself to God so that God can put that stamp of approval on your life. You're, going, you're either going to be in one of the two, two camps. And I've seen it so many times. A lot of religious systems out there is all about trying to impress God that God can put that stamp of approval on them. And the other side is, I'll rather be an atheist or I don't want anything to do with the church. Finding some wrong things that the church does as a, 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 a way of not going to church at all. And all of that is born of from this platform of not knowing what God thinks about you. For me, it's important to know that God thinks good of me. You know, if, if I know, if, if my children know that their father thinks good of them, if they've got a problem, they'll come and speak to me. Because they know the good thought is the open door for them to speak to me. God only thinks good thoughts about you. He does not entertain an evil thought. He does not entertain a bad thought. Even if my wife or my children would do bad things, because of my extravagant love for them, I'm not going to entertain that thought. I'm not going to ponder upon that thing all the time. I will just say, oh, they had a bad day. You know, and think of the good thing all the time. How much more God, if we that are earthly live like that towards our children, how much more God? So in the throne room is a platform from where God lives. The platform between the Father and the Son is in the Holy Spirit, okay, which is a platform of no obligation, no sin consciousness, and no guilt. That's how God functions. God doesn't function. Jesus doesn't sit in the throne room thinking, you know, He owes the Father service. The father doesn't sit in the throne room thinking, I'm owing the son a favor. No. They, in, the, in, in the throne room of heaven, where God, in, which is three, which is one, which is difficult to explain, um, where they sit in fellowship, where God sits in fellowship, it's a platform of equality. It's a platform of uh, uh, understanding of value. The one is valuable to the other one. It's a platform of influence or where the one influences the other one. The Father's got an influence upon the Spirit and the Spirit's got an influence upon the Son and vice versa. And these three has influenced one another so much that you can't separate them from each other. They are all the same. And we were made and we got a place in Jesus, for we are seated with Christ in heavenly places on that platform where we can have fellowship and friendship with God. You know what the Bible says in John? Jesus says, I call you my friends for I've told you everything I know. He says, a master doesn't tell a servant everything he knows. But friends open their hearts to each other and I have opened my heart to you. You are my friends. <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? God calls you friend. Amen. God calls you friend for He's opened His whole being. When Jesus came and fellowshiped with man when He was upon the earth, that was the only platform He had in mind. The platform of equality. The platform of no consciousness of sin. Where he, wherein He came to remove the sin of the whole world. So that it wasn't a, um, a, a determining factor. Something in the throne room that could determine the atmosphere, that could determine the, the mood of the place. Sin can never again determine the mood of the throne room. Because sin was removed 
in Jesus Christ and died in Jesus. So that there is a platform of righteousness, a platform of holiness, a platform of equality, a platform of, of, of innocence from where we can have a relationship with another person. You know, many people, if you live in one town and you've messed up in that town, um, you would, it's, it's, it's nice to move to another town because it's like a new start. Okay? Because nobody in the other town is going to base their relationship with you on what you've done. It's a new start. So you, you can get rid of all your lies. You can get rid of all the plastic you've put on because of all the wrong you've done. And here's a brand new place. When you move to a new town, and uh, uh, one of the examples that I heard of this was um, on TV. This, this lady, she, she was um, in primary school and then she shared some secret with one of her friends and this friend went and told everybody. And then she became the laughing stock of the school. For all the time then that she was in primary school, nobody would want to be friends with her because you know how kids are. You know, I can't be a friend with somebody that doesn't want to be a friend with you. You know, and it's like the whole, it's just like a bad thing. And then the, her parents moved. She says, thank God, they moved to, high, to, to another town. And she, when she went to the high school, you know, it wasn't another town. And it was like a brand new start. And all of a sudden, the guys liked her. She was in. Everything changed. When she moved to the new town, she had a, a, a clean slate. But it doesn't mean that she's, she's already been in friendship with the people. She still had to learn to know them. In the very same way, Jesus came and cleaned the slate so that we can now know God. That we can say, okay, this, I don't have to perform. I don't have to lie about anything. I, don't have to, I can accept my innocence in Jesus for He's taken away the sin of the whole world, including my sin and every sin that will ever be committed so that everybody can come with boldness to the throne of grace to obtain mercy. Hallelujah. Today I'm going to talk about mercy. That we can obtain mercy. Obtain means to make use of, to experience mercy. You know, when Jesus paid for your sins, He was merciful towards you. And by His mercy, He influenced your life. But we need to make use of that mercy. What that means is, if you think you don't qualify for something because you've done something wrong or because the situation say you don't qualify, I want to tell you that's a time to make use of mercy. I'm going to obtain this mercy. I am not basing my life on the thing that I've done and my qualification for receiving something or having joy in this situation will never be based on the thing that I've done, but I make use of, my, of mercy. For I come to the throne room of grace with boldness, the Bible says. So we go with boldness to the throne room of grace to obtain the mercy of God, to make use of mercy. Mercy is available for everybody. Jesus took away the sin of the whole world. But for, for us, as people, we need to make use of it. What does it help we still live with a guilty conscience? What does it help we still live with... Die, die oude vloekwoord wat die week terug gesê het, is nog steeds bezig om jou klaar te maak. Hmm? Or the financial stress, where you stressed out and said, Oh God, you know, if you're alive, why is there no money in my account? And now, you live with that guilt all the time. And that guilt continues to dictate to you. Listen, you, you can obtain mercy at the throne of grace. Grace means the platform from where God operates, the throne room reality of influence. God has influenced the human race with something that is called mercy. And mercy, you can start it out, means the following. It is deeds of compassion that flows from the innermost being or the, or the core of someone to treat somebody else better than what he deserves. So, when we, say, when we go to the throne room of grace, we go to a place where, by law, we don't deserve to be blessed. But I make use of mercy, for there's a throne room where I qualify by the personality and the person of God to be treated very well. Because the reality in the throne room is this, 
the person is more important than what he can do. That is a throne room reality. The person is more important than what he can do. You know, the other day on television I watched on this crime investigation thing. So, there was a lady there. She and her daughter murdered somebody. Now, they're locking them up. You know, while they say, listen, you know, while you watch the thing, you think, man, they must lock these people up. When they lock them up, you feel sorry for them. <laughs> don't know if you've ever felt that. You feel shame. They're just human beings, man. You know, they, you don't know how they grew up. You don't know what they went through, why they do this. You feel this compassion. Because all of a sudden, you see this person was dealt with on the basis of their works. But when they get locked up, you realize the value of this being. And God came and He's got the ability to live and manifest His life towards us on the platform of you are more important than what you can ever do for God. That is His platform from where He lives. That is, that's why the good things you do can never determine you or the bad things you do can never determine who you are. You are the God kind. When Jesus, when God came to, to, to Moses, He said, Who will I say has sent me? And God said this, He said, I am that I am. Tell them, I am that I am has sent you. Now that is a very, if Pharaoh really understood it, you know, he could have been scared. And I never understood that, but some years ago this thing opened up to me. And this is what it is. God said, I am so much that I am, that it manifests. So God's platform from where He lives is not, um, I am something and then I need to do something else that's outside of who I am. I am so much that this very thing that I am is so full of life and energy that it manifests. Tell Pharaoh that. Tell Pharaoh, now, if God is love, and God is a God of forgiveness, and God is a God that hates it to see people oppressed, and He is so much that, that it manifests, Pharaoh's got a problem. Because God can't help Himself. Who He is is going to manifest. In the very same way, God is love. God is mercy. God is grace. He is so much that it manifests. And what happens to man and what tradition has taught man is that we are I'll becomes or I'll do's. Not I am that I am's. Because if we've been created in the very image and the very likeness of God, we can never be in a place of I am one thing and I need to do a different thing. We are just like God and we live from the platform of I am that I am. Jesus, when they came and they, they wanted to take him uh, captive, you know, uh, to go and crucify him, they said, we're looking for Jesus, the Son of God, or the guy that says he's the Son of God. He says, I am he. And they fell down under the power of God. The Jewish always fell down backwards, the Bible say, when he said, I am. Now, that wasn't the, that wasn't the tradition of the, of the soldiers, that whenever you... Uh, arrest somebody to quickly fall back and then stand up and then continue with the arrest. No, it, it was, it was the, 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 the revelation of I am. That I am brought forth so much power. And I want to tell you, we've been made in the very image and the likeness of God so that we can function not from I'm one thing, I look at the list of rules of what I must do. No, we are so much something that it manifests. And that is what God wants to bring home to us. The reality of the throne room becomes our reality because we are seated with Him in heavenly places. That's where we sit. That's from where we function. That's from where we think. That is the platform of our reasoning. Yesterday, uh, one of the pastors asked me back, now, what does repentance mean? How do we repent? The word repent, metanoia, means to change the mental faculty in your life. 
to change the very foundation from where you reason and think about yourself. To change it. That's repent. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus. What does that mean? Repent, I change the very foundation from where I reason. Okay? And then I am baptized. Baptized means fully immersed in the name of Jesus. What is the name of Jesus? You shall call His name Jesus, for He shall take away the sin of all His people. So, change your mental faculty, change the way you think and reason about yourself, and be baptized and completely immersed in innocence. And you shall be saved. <laughs> Hallelujah! The revelation of your innocence. And this is the mercy of God. Now, let's go quickly to Exodus. You don't have to go there physically, but it's really written there. Exodus uh, 25 and uh, verse 20. This talks about the making of the Ark of the Covenant. And, and God gave some direct, some dimensions of this covenant, of, of this ark and everything. And I want to just talk about that a little bit. And the cherubim shall stretch forth their wings on high, covering the mercy seat where, uh, with their wings. And their faces shall look one to another. Towards the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubim be. And you shall put the mercy seat above upon the ark. Um, and in the ark you shall put the testimony that I will give you, which was the law, the Ten Commandments. And there I will meet with you, and I will commune with you from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim, which are upon the ark of the testimony, and all things which I will give you in commandment unto the children of Israel. So what does he, what does he say here? He says, he talks about the ark that they made. This ark was layers of gold and all these kind of woods and poles and the whole thing and inside the ark there was a rod there was manna and there was the ten commandments now the ten commandments and the rod and the manna actually talked about uh, Israel's sin because they didn't want the manna they didn't want to obey Moses the, the authority of God and they, and, and they wanted the law instead of a relationship with God Okay, it was in the ark, talking about their sin. Then God said, you'll make this ark and put it in the most holy place. Now this ark of the covenant and the whole temple that was on the earth was a shadow of what really is in heaven. That's what the Bible says. It was, it was maar net afdruk van wat in die jimmel gebeur. Now in die jimmel was al nie a groter box nie. You know, because we think of this. No, no, in heaven there was these principles by which men lived. But God came and made it physical things to explain to us how He functions. So man chose the law, not God. Remember, those of you that are not familiar with this, Adam said, I want to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God said, don't eat of it. Okay? That tree of the knowledge of good and evil was the thought patterns of Satan. It was not God's way of doing. Man embraced it. God said, don't eat of it, you will die. Then that law, or that ministration of death, was written on stones. And given in, in, in written format to man. So what God did was, God took the covenant that Adam cut with himself to be like God, and wrote it down in stone form, and gave it to the children of Israel. That was... The, called the ministration of death. This ministration of death was put in the ark. On top of this ark was put a lid called the mercy seat with the cherubim on the sides. Then God said, I will come and sit on the mercy seat and speak to you. Because when God would come down from above, He does not want to see the law. He doesn't want to see your disqualification. He doesn't want to see your sin. Because He's covered your sin with mercy. For the Bible says in James 2, mercy triumphs over judgment. Hallelujah. And He comes and He says, the only place that I will have a relationship with you is from the foundation of mercy. If I can't be merciful to you, I cannot be your God. 
Listen, if God is I am that I am, and He is mercy, and you want Him to be your God, you'll have to allow Him to be merciful to you. Otherwise, He can't be your God. It's like marrying somebody of a, that's got a certain personality. You cannot, if, if you don't want that person in your life, don't marry that person. Because that person can only be himself. It's very difficult for a person to change. God comes and He says He will never change. So, when you invite God into your life, or you want anything to do with God, you've got to accept His terms. And this is His terms. I am merciful. I create a platform, a mercy seat, so that when I come, I don't want to see that you don't want the rejection of, of the, the Lamb of God. I don't want you, I don't want to see, you know, how you, your disobedience. I don't want to see the ministration of death. I want to sit on the platform of mercy and speak to you. But you'll find that even when people went into the throne or in, into the uh, most holy place in the Old Testament, that they would be struck dead. So why would God kill them? You know, if you go and read Leviticus, it says, tell the sons of Aaron not to come any time, just as they please, before this into the most holy place but that they need to have the right sacrifices in place so that when they enter in they will not die so here he comes God didn't think you know when somebody died in there oh yeah I got him <laughs> he will not I should sacrifice for here no God did not want anyone to die now here is a God. Listen, I, I just want your picture about God to change. Here's God. The God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. Amen. It was the God of the Old Testament that decided to give His Son. Okay? So we must have a picture of a God of love in the Old. So here, here comes the Old Testament God, and He says, I don't want anybody to die. He says, I will not speak to you but from a platform of mercy. But mankind is under the covenant of law. So law has got to say. Yes. The ministration of death written on stones, according to 2 Corinthians 3, verse 6 and 7, is written, is in the box, in the ark. So, if you would go in there and die, who would be the one that brings forth the death? The one who says, I want to be merciful, or the ministration of death that was inside the box? Mm -hmm. Who's the... Who, I mean... As iemand nou so specieus moet wees, as dan nie daar wil sit, kan dan nie, hy sond gaan jou pla daar so. So, maar, um, just think of it. I mean, obviously, it's the ministration of death. Because the ministration of death said, guilty. But then you had to have sacrifices to make you not guilty. So that you can come before God and speak, speak to God. Because the throne room, the place where we link to God, Adam brought into that place death. So that whosoever come in there based on the wrong system would die by the wrong system, not the God that gave life. The Bible says to know God is eternal life. So how can He kill you? Something else has to be the murderer. It's like with Ananias and Sapphira. You know, they lied. And then they died. Some people say to me, you see, in the New Testament, God killed them. I said, no. Nowhere is written there that God killed anybody. You assume that. If you must look at the law, or the ministration of death, or you must look at what the devil is called, the father of all lies, the immense uh, murderer, or you look at God who gave His Son that you might live, who can be the possible person that brought forth that death? Not God. Now you might say to me, but Bertie, how does this thing link? I don't know, but I'll tell you now, it's not God. It's not God. 
It's like watching a drama on TV, you know, and you see this whole plot playing and, and then you see one guy murders another guy and, and, or, or somebody get murdered. You know who it is. You don't know how, how it happened, but you know who's the guilty one. In the very same way, this is the way. God is not guilty of murdering people. It is the ministration of death that was written on stones. And God clearly says here, I want to be merciful to you. I want to sit on the platform of mercy, for mercy triumphs over judgment. Um, let me just quickly go to Leviticus. Yes? You see, I, I believe that the law system was so... Um, in that time, under the law, death was permitted. You could die. People could die by law. That's why even laws was, if somebody committed adultery, then uh, uh, he can be stoned. It was not God saying murdering people, that, that you must murder people. It was God just showing the covenant under which people were standing. That's how I see it. Yes. That was, that's, that was it. You can only play by the rules. And that was the rule. And God had to play by that rule. Because Adam implemented that rule between God and man. So, God had to play by that rule until this law could be fulfilled. Then Jesus came and this law was fulfilled. And I believe God is a just and a righteous God. And every person, even in the Old Testament or every person that will ever live, will have the opportunity to see the love of God and to have the freedom of choice to make use of God's unconditional love. So, even in the Old Testament, if we look at the Old, we can look at how destructive the law system is. But still, today, we find people embracing that works righteousness after 4,000 years of vivid explanation and vividly it was portrayed how deadly that system is. But still it's embraced. Why? <laughs> it is so clear. Paul even comes and writes and says it's the ministration of death. So when, when God comes and He would give any advice, He would always look at what is in the heavens, the, the law that kills, you know, and Him that is merciful, and He will say, if somebody commits adultery, he can be stoned. What does it mean? If you, talking about the New Testament, we are in union with, with Jesus, but if we commit adultery, in other words, if we go and have union with another system, like Adam did, what will happen? It will bring forth death. So that was the, the rules of the playing field. You said it beautifully. So, um, and I think that is where all these things come from. Everything originates from that. Maybe in our mind we can't put every scripture and say, okay, this is exactly how it, origina how it links, but that is, how it, that is where it comes from. Because if we look at the New Testament, we, we, we talk about the covenant of life, the covenant of no condemnation, the covenant of no guilt, the covenant of eternal life, the Holy Spirit, immortality in the return of Christ, all the beautiful, wonderful things. Leviticus 16, I just want to read it quickly to you. Um, and the Lord spoke unto Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they offered before the Lord and died. And the Lord said unto Moses, Speak unto Aaron thy brother, that they come not at all time into the most holy place before the mercy seat, before the, uh, um, which is upon the ark, that he is that they die not. And then he goes on and he explains to them that they must have a sin offering, a, a ram, you know, and, all, and a burnt offering, which shows towards Jesus. So, he says, don't let them come at any time before me in this throne, because they'll die. But, Jesus came and said, unless this law is, I mean, he came to fulfill that law, so that the ministration of death would not be present in the throne room. Jesus said, the law will never pass away unless it is fulfilled. Then it was fulfilled so that it could pass away. So it passed away. It was removed from the throne room. There is no more law there. There is no more disqualification there. 
It's only the qualification for man, which is Jesus before the Father. So we can come boldly to the throne room of grace. Amen. To obtain mercy. So God says the mercy seat, the platform. God's throne room is called the throne of grace. The seat on which he sits is called the mercy seat. Listen. Have you seen, uh, um, you, you know, these, some of these people that like rugby a lot. They'll put Blow Biller or Western Province or, I mean, Stormers or they'll put, uh, there's a guy in, 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 in Malmesbury there, Alice is Cheetahs, my mom. He doesn't even have a cheetah in the garden in the front. A statue there. Listen. He's got a nice car like mine and then he messes it up with a cheetah flag in the back window. So he's like, <laughs> but anyway, so he likes the cheetahs. If you call your car cheetah, you are a cheetah in your heart. If you call your throne, the, if you call this, the seat on which you sit, you call it mercy. It means something. It means mercy has captivated your being. If you call your throne room the throne room of grace, my goodness, if God does it, it's not because of some weird thing or, or low self-worth. It's an acknowledgement of the truth. The platform from where He rules is mercy in the throne room of grace. Hallelujah. And that's what it says. Whenever you come in here in the Old Testament, come in with a sacrifice. Even now, when you go into the throne room of God, go in with a sacrifice of Jesus. Go with Jesus on your mind. Go in the full assurance of faith that you are innocent because of the Lamb of God. Full assurance. You know, when we, when, when, sometimes when we want a breakthrough in a business deal or whatever, we want to come with the full assurance of we've done everything right. We've prayed enough and that we've, that we've bound the devil. Yeah. yeah. We want to do all the things right. So, and then we will go, go through again and again to make sure we've done nothing wrong so that we can have assurance that God will answer our prayer. No. Come in the full assurance of faith. That's what Hebrews 10 says. And then when it talks about faith, it talks about the persuasion that one sacrifice, Jesus, could take away the sin of the entire human race. So that every person can come with the full assurance of faith. Hallelujah. The Bible says, if you say to this mountain, talking about the mountain where the temple was on, be cast into the sea and you do not doubt in your heart, it shall be done. So what, doubt what in your heart? Doubt that Jesus removed that covenant. But I find today that we are still struggling with doubt that He really remove it all. Did he really take away it all? You know, I don't know if, I, if it was in this week or last week, but a guy came to me, he said to me, Bertie, will you sponsor my ministry? You know? And I said to him, yeah, man, I will. And, and I, I would love to sponsor you. And I was thinking, maybe this guy, even if he doesn't understand grace, at least, you know, he can come to the meeting we had yesterday and he can listen to the gospel. And, um, you know, I, I would love to have somebody in town you know, that's preaching, uh, it, was, it was a guy from the colored community there, that was preaching grace there, and then I can sponsor him, and we can get the gospel out there. So, um, he said to me, uh, uh, Yahweh, he said, he's happy. I said, all I'm asking you is just, in a few words, what is the, what's the gospel of Jesus? The guy couldn't answer me. He, and not that I was very strict and nitpicking, but he didn't have the faintest clue of what the gospel of Jesus is. The gospel is, we must serve the Lord. No, no, that is not the gospel. The gospel is not how we must serve God. So I said to him, even if you don't qualify, you know, I still want to support you, but just come and learn, learn. 
This guy wasn't even willing to come. So I can't support it. You know, I want to support the grace message. This truth is where you want to put your money in. You can't put your money into condemnation. No way. You want to put your money into that which brings life to people's hearts. Hallelujah. So this whole throne room of God, everything is all about grace. God's influence. It's a, it's a throne room. I mean, imagine you go to the throne room of grace. You go to a place where you say, this is the place where I'm going to be influenced by God. That's what the word grace means, influence. So when you go into the throne room, He's going to influence you. With what? With His mercy. With showing you how who you are is always more valuable than what you can do. Always. My kids, I want them to know. If Aubrey does that, that camera work and he edits it and Henry helps me with this and Bert is helping me with that, what they do is wonderful. But they are always worth a billion times more than what they can ever do for me. Because I can take some money and I can get someone to do their job. They're doing it out of the abundance of their heart. Amen. And I love them for who they are. And how much more? God. So when we go to His throne room, that's the platform from where He reasons. And I want to tell you, if that's not the platform from where you reason, you'll struggle to hear His voice. He will what He will speak will be a funny language. You will not understand. It will not really make sense. So let's go to Exodus 34. I'll do two more, more verses. This, this one I've preached on many times, but I want to just touch on it again. This is when, when uh, uh, God appeared to Moses and explained himself, who he really was. The Bible says, And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood um, there before Moses and proclaimed the name of the Lord. Now what he actually says there is, he, he, Moses was in the cloud and he said to God, God, I want to see your glory. And then God said, okay, I will show you my glory. And, um, and this is what he said, tomorrow I'll come and I will let all my goodness pass before you. And then I will explain my name. Because in the Hebrew sense, a name spoke of who the person is. So he wanted to explain his name. When he said, I am or Jehovah, or God. He wants to explain what it means. And this is what he did. He passed by, verse 6, And the Lord passed by before him, and he proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful. The first thing God says about who he is, is I'm merciful. My goodness. I am merciful. Merciful. So I want to tell you, I don't care what you've been going through. I don't care how guilty you feel. People watching via the internet today, you, you might have been going through the hardest times, you know. You might be caught up in gambling or uh, prostitution or pornography or whatever. I want to tell you, the first thing that God says about Himself when He comes into your presence is, I am merciful. I am merciful. And God cannot stop being that. That is His being. He's merciful. It means that whenever we go to Him, we will find deeds of compassion that flows from His deepest, innermost being towards us. Hallelujah. That is merciful. And then He says, I'm gracious. So this mercy will even influence you. I'm long-suffering. I'm abundant in goodness and truth. Now he comes back again to mercy. Verse 7. Keeping mercy for thousands. So he says this mercy is, I am merciful. But Moses, this is not a one-time event. This is not, I'm just merciful to you so that you don't die in my presence or something like that. No, I'm merciful. That's who I am. I am gracious. I am long-suffering. I am abundant in goodness and truth. Goodness and truth is not in short supply in the presence of God. Abundance of goodness. 
Amen. And abundance of truth. What is truth? The Bible says Jesus is the truth. What does Jesus talk about? He shall call his name Jesus, for he shall remove his people's sins from them. So he's abundant in truth. He's abundant in the, in the knowledge of your innocence. He's not going to walk in a lie about your life. Jesus is the truth about your life. If Jesus took away your sins, that is the truth about your life. And God is abundant in that truth. It's not once, there's no genoeg. Die man vat no kans, hy begin hand uit druk. No way. Abundant in goodness and truth. Merciful, gracious. And then he says, I keep mercy for thousands. And what does this mercy do? It forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. It will by no means pass by any guilty one. This mercy will visit the iniquity or the sins of the fathers upon the children's children until the third and fourth generation. That's what he'll do with his mercy. Hallelujah. And he is a merciful God. So we can obtain mercy. We can obtain, we have obtained in Christ and we can walk and make use of the very mercy of God. This is what it says in Hebrews 4.16. Come with boldness to the throne of grace that you may obtain mercy. God sits there, He wants, to, he wants this mercy to be a reality to you. It's the mercy of God that brings innocence to our minds. Hallelujah. What was His mercy? By His mercy He forgives iniquity, transgression and sin. And this mercy is so influential that it influences the way we think about Him and us and our neighbor. Hallelujah. Thank you Lord. Like me, not ek God wat blij is met die preek, maar... Ja, maar stil. <laughs> Let's go to Psalm 136. This is a wonderful verse to end this with. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. For His mercy endures forever. I'll give thanks to our God, to the God of gods, for His mercy endures forever. I'll give thanks to the Lord of lords, for His mercy endures forever. To Him who alone does great wonders, for His mercy endures forever. To Him that by wisdom made the heavens, for His mercy endures forever. To him that stretched out the earth above the waters, for his mercy endures forever. To him that made great lights, for, its, for his mercy endures forever. The sun to rule by day, for his mercy endures forever. The moon and the stars to rule by night, for his mercy endures forever. To him that smote Egypt in their firstborn, for his mercy endures forever. And brought out Israel from amongst them, for His mercy endures forever. And so it go goes on, the whole 26 verses, His mercy endures forever. The word endure means the ability to take or sustain prolonged pressure. So, if I put this Bible on this chair, it means that the bi this chair can endure the pressure that this Bible puts upon it. Or if I sit upon it, it can endure it. So, it says God's mercy endures forever. His mercy can forever endure the pressure that you put upon it. Hallelujah. Forever. Forever. We come to a place. Kijk, ons raak sommige hou fed up met iemand. Nee. But God's mercy endures forever. He created the heavens. Why? For His mercy. Let me explain mercy even before sin existed. 
Mercy is to treat something better than what it deserves. God said, let us, God had a plan. The plan was you. And for you to live, He had to make a place. He made the stars and the heavens and everything with you in mind. And then He made you. And He gave dust the opportunity to experience eternal life. That's mercy. Mercy. (laughs) He made all those things. Because His mercy is forever. He cannot change. He cannot change. That's who He is. Let's accept the very mercy of God in our own lives. When we come to God, let's know who we are going to. We're going to a merciful God. A gracious God. A God that is, the Bible says, that's long-suffering. I like what Ed Elliott said. Now, this is, this is typical evangelism reasoning, but it's good. If Jesus comes quickly, and it takes 2,000 years, and God is long-suffering, how long do you think can He suffer? If He's quick, it's already 2,000 years. Think about it. <laughs> There's no end to His mercy. We will find in the heavens where we are beings that find our life and the origin of our life from Him, forever we'll discover the depths of His mercy. God is not a boring God. I'm sure that there's so many things that we will still see where we will find that who He is manifests fully in us. That's mercy. Thank you, Lord. Hebrews... Let's just read that verse that I've quoted twice. Hebrews 4, 16. His mercy endures forever. The platform from where He speaks. If He can't be merciful to you, He can't speak to you. Verse 15. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted... um, like as we are, yet without sin, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace in a, and help in the time of need. Mm. Hallelujah. And then it goes on in chapter 5 and 6, talking about how it took away all our sin. So we can come boldly to the throne of grace. So in this time of your life, you know, you know the areas where you would like to have mercy. Make use of that mercy. And that mercy is so influential that it will give birth to a new life. Will give birth to a new life. We want so many times, we look at the mercy is, okay, God's not going to wring my neck. Okay. That's what we think of mercy. No, no, no. Mercy is God granting you His life as a free gift. Even us as human beings can forgive somebody if they haven't done, if they've done something wrong without punishing them. That's not the greatest gift. Humans can do that. People don't even believe in God can do that. They forgive each other. Somebody owes the other one money, ah, forget it. You know, it's all over. And they forgive Him. And we think that that forgiveness is the Alpha and the Omega between us and God. No, that is not it. That is not it. That's a human thing. The forgiveness of God is this. To separate you from the, the forgiveness of God or the power of God is this. That God can come and take a sinner and call him righteous. Call him righteous, not with a mind of, okay, I'm not just looking at his sin, but to call him righteous with the very righteousness of God. The Bible says the faith that is accounted for righteousness is is the faith that God can bless the evildoer. That is what the message translation says. God can bless the evildoer because God doesn't see evildoer. God sees something completely else because he's got a completely different mindset. 
and He truly removed all our sins. I've said this many times. When God looked at the world, He doesn't take the blood of Jesus and look through the blood of Jesus at the world and see the world as clean. No. That is like taking sunlight liquid and looking through it at the dishes and say it's clean. Now you take the sunlight liquid, you put it in the water, you wash the dishes, and then that soap has cleansed the dishes. In the very same way with the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus has washed away our sin. The revelation of His blood in a human heart wash away your guilty mind where you think you're guilty all the time. Hallelujah. You are truly innocent. That is the very mercy of God. Let us go with boldness to the throne of grace to get mercy. Don't think that mercy cannot influence you. I've heard it so many times. You know, people write to me, but Bertie, what about sin? What about if people hear this good news? Will they now just go and sin? It is the throne of influence where we receive mercy. When you receive this mercy, it's going to change your life. It's going to change your life. It's going to change the way you speak. It's going to change the way you think. It's going to change the way you think about people. Do you know how much my, my life has changed in the way I think about others? Think about uh, just what, what I would call in the old days just sinners and bad people. I don't see them bad anymore. I see a, I, I see a valuable person in a dangerous place. Big difference. Hallelujah. I mean, if somebody's in the hospital and he's got cancer, we don't go step over the bed like this and start slapping him because he's got cancer. No way. He's a victim of cancer. And he's dying of cancer. And compassion flows from innermost being because of what cancer is doing to this person. So when we look at people walking in sin and living a destructive life, my goodness, if we go and beat them up, it's like beating somebody in the hospital that's got cancer. They're just a victim of something. Walking in the ignorance of their minds, not knowing the mercy and the love and the grace of God. Not knowing that there is a place prepared in the, in the Trinity where they can have fellowship with God, where the life of God can be put inside them, that they can walk this earth not as I becomes, but as I ams. I've found it many times. A person can be in performance, you know, and when they come into a, plat a, a place of grace, they discover who they really are. They don't know who they are until they are in a place of grace. Because in the platform of performance, there's so many performance that you do out of willpower that a life is formed based on all the things you do and you think that's who you are. But when you come to a place where all the pressure is taken away. This morning, this morning I said to Helena, what I do now, this what, I, what manifests in my life, this is who I am. I can never change from this. This is who I am. I'm a preacher. I'm preaching the gospel. I'm a person in a love relationship with God. And this I am that God is that manifests in me. I am that I am. What you're seeing here is who I am. I'm not doing this out of performance. If I'm alone and nobody can see me, I'll desire to meet somebody to share the gospel with him. If I never get money for it, that's who I am. The very same with you. You'll find in this place of, of mercy and grace, you can be influenced into being a businessman, a mom, whatever. It is not what I am, what manifests in me determines who I am. No ways. What manifests in you will be the most natural, peaceful thing. And it will be just who the, the influence of God bringing forth the real you. Amen. There's only one you. So why do you want to copy someone else? You're doing the world harm by doing that. Because they need 
just you. And there are people that get born and they die and they've never been who they are. They've copied everybody. You know, like today, you know, Hugo Boss. Do you know who Hugo Boss was? He was a designer, clothes designer. They designed the, 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 the greatest murderers of Hitler's army's clothes. Yeah. Nice clothes, though. But that's Hugo Boss. And we find our life in Hugo Boss. I like Hugo Boss clothes, though. It's good stuff. But <laughs> we don't know what we follow. And we try to find our life in all these kind of things yeah. where we can just be ourselves. Yeah. And I want to tell you, it's impossible to be yourself by decision of your will. Yeah. You discover who you are starts to live by revelation of His mercy and His grace. Only in the platform of this message can who you are live. And that's an effortless life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your great love. Thank you, my God, that you, that, that you are such a good God. Thank you that we can today have absolute peace for we are discovering your throne room dynamics. We are discovering the platform from where you live. And your mercy, which was from the beginning, by your mercy you've decided to take dust and give dust the opportunity to have the Trinity life inside it. And we are enjoying your mercy. Thank you for being a merciful God. We obtain this mercy. We make use of this mercy by coming boldly to the throne room of grace. Lord, it's so difficult to obtain mercy, to make use of mercy if we come with shame instead of boldness. We're not ashamed of Jesus. We're not ashamed of what He's done. We're not ashamed of declaring people innocent. We're not ashamed of declaring the, 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 the place that You've prepared for every human being in the throne room. We're not ashamed of this gospel, O oh God. For this is who you are. You are not ashamed of us, and we are not ashamed of you. We're not ashamed of people, because you have made us to be in your image and your likeness. Little I am's. Thank you, my God. I just want to pray for people here that's maybe going through a hard time, you know, in your family life or your business. Um, the place that you work, just the normal things in this life. Father, I want to come and I just feel such an unction in my heart to just speak your truth over the people that seated here and that watch via the internet all over the world. I thank you, Father, that even when, when we are at a place where we deny you in the sense of we cannot acknowledge the truth you cannot deny yourself you will continue to walk in that truth when we deny you you'll deny us when we say you have not blessed us you'll deny what we've said you'll say I have blessed you you'll deny the lie because you can only walk in truth. You are abundant in truth. And I thank you, Lord, that I can come right now and I just declare over everybody's situation here that that situation can change, that new life can be blown into that situation. And while that takes place, I speak over everybody's mind a contentment with the very person of God, with who God is. I speak over everybody's mind, the ability to know that that situation can never define them, can never, will never 
ever have the opportunity to declare them blessed or cursed. For there's an eternal word that speaks over them from the heavens called Jesus. And your word says that you have blessed us, you have spoken well of us with every spiritual well speaking that there can be. You've spoken well of us with the most eloquent and the highest speech that can be found in the heavens. It is called the incarnation of God in human flesh, which represents us, all of us. Your life is our life. Thank you, my God. Your peace is our peace. Hallelujah. Amen and amen. I just want to say this quickly. You know, when we go out here, and especially people that are watching over the web, pastors, the Bible says that Jesus comes and He says, Peace to you, my peace I give you. Okay? That's what He says. Peace to you, my peace I give you. And then He goes on and He says, As the Father has sent me, I sent you. Whosoever sins you forgive shall be forgiven them. And whosoever sins you keep back shall be kept back. Now what that means is that as people who know this truth, our responsibility when we speak or, or yeah, our responsibility when we speak to others is so great because if we declare them guilty, they will walk in guilt in their mind all the time. But if we declare them innocent or forgiven, they'll be forgiven. That is the power that is in our mouths. Should we go and tell people, you cannot be blessed because you have not tithed, you have not sown, you have not broken the power of the devil, you have not... You know what? They will live in that all the time. They will live in it. But if you forgive, in other words, if you declare their forgiveness, they will be free. That's the power we possess. Isn't that awesome? As the Father has sent me, so have I sent you. Jesus came to earth with a purpose, to take away the sin of the world. Then He went to heaven. Okay? Then He came back, you know, just after His resurrection, to speak to His people. So He went to heaven, the Father sent Him back again with what? With a message of peace. He appeared and He said, Peace. As the Father sent me. To do what? To declare peace. The emotion of not being indebted. So have the Father sent you. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. God bless you guys.